First Class Fatherhood. That is where Alec Lace comes in with his popular podcast. And one of the most interesting was on a podcast. Alec Lace interviews high-profile fathers from actors to NFL players with a vision to change the narrative of fatherhood and family life. Welcome, everybody, to episode 662 of First Class Fatherhood, a family-made media podcast. And I've got something very special for you guys today on this Friday edition of First Class Fatherhood. Dr. Michael Savage joins me on the podcast. Dr. Savage is a Radio Hall of Fame legend. I'm really honored to have him on the podcast, but this is really going to be quite a different episode than anything else you've heard here on the podcast before, because this interview will play both here and on the Michael Savage podcast. So you're going to hear a lot. You're going to learn a lot about me as well as Dr. Savage here in this interview. He kind of steers the conversation. I reached out to his team uh, with a list of questions that I really wanted to ask him on the podcast here. We kind of go through those. He's interviewing me. I'm interviewing him. And the radio legend really steers this podcast along. But it will simulcast on his show as well. It's such an honor to have him on the podcast. He is really a radio legend. He's also a New York Times bestselling author. He is known for three words, borders, language, culture. He's been in the game for a very long time. He's a very well-educated man as well. He's got a Master of Science in Botany, a Master of Arts in Anthropology, a PhD in Nutritional Ethnomedicine. And at one point in time, Dr. Savage was the most listened to radio talk show host in the country. He had an audience of more than 20 million listeners and was simulcasted on more than 400 radio stations. Right now, he is the host of the Michael Savage podcast, where you will hear this interview that I do with him. It's We do like a little cross-promotion, a little cross-interview here. Very interesting, very fascinating. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Dr. Savage is going to be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Michael Savage was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you'd like to watch today's conversation between the Radio Hall of Famer and myself, please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. Link is in the description of today's podcast episode. And for those of you who are fans of Michael Savage and it's your first time here to First Class Fatherhood, I would love to welcome you, but also like to point you to some of the other interviews that I've done here that you may be interested in checking out, such as the interviews I've done with Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, Eric Trump, recently Senator Ted Cruz, uh, Mike Pompeo has been here, Mike Lindell, Rudy Giuliani. Uh, The list really goes on and on, as well as many of the uh, famous entertainers and athletes, including Matthew McConaughey, Steve Harvey, Tom Brady, Deion Sanders. Uh, Please, if you're new to the show, go through the archives and check them out. I think you'll find somebody that you're interested in listening to. And speaking of Mike Lindell, you guys know the MyPillow deal is going on right now. MyPillow.com. Use the promo code FATHERHOOD. You're going to save up to 66% off. Get over there. Check out the sandals, the slippers, and you know my favorite item, the mattress topper. I'm telling you, I've been raving about this thing. I've been sleeping on it for two years now. I love it. It sucks when I have to sleep anywhere else but on top of this mattress topper. It's the best thing that I've ever slept on. My wife loves it. you got to check it out. Go to MyPillow.com. And plug in the promo code FATHERHOOD. You could save up to 66% off your entire order. They got a big Christmas blowout sale. They got an overstock sale going on. So get in on it. Save some money. Get some Christmas gifts. MyPillow.com. Promo code FATHERHOOD. Save up to 66% off. All right, next week is going to be the holiday week. We got Thanksgiving coming. It's going to be a short week here. I got just two episodes I'm going to hit you with, but they're two good ones. Former Growing Pain star Kirk Cameron joins me here on the podcast, as well as sports broadcasting legend Ian Eagle will be here. So follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace for all the other upcoming guest announcements. 
Honored, as always, to have you guys with me today. If you have an opportunity, please let me spread the word about the podcast, every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list, and let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. You guys know Father's Day is every day right here on the podcast. And here comes my interview right now, straight up with Dr. Michael Savage on First Class Fatherhood. Welcome to the Michael Savage Podcast. We're talking with Alec Lace about his project or book, First Class Fatherhood. You've interviewed some very famous people on fatherhood. Can you tell us who they are, please? Uh, Yeah, Dr. Savage, it's an honor to talk to you here. I've interviewed everybody from all different walks of life. So if we're talking like uh, the entertainment industry, I've interviewed Matthew McConaughey, Steve Harvey, uh, many other different guys like that. Um, I've, I've also done many sports figures. I've interviewed Tom Brady, Tony Hawk. I've done a lot of Navy SEALs. This is your podcast. It's called a fatherhood podcast. It's called first class fatherhood. It's great. Great idea. Yeah. So, uh, so basically focus on uh, a lot of what I talk about on the show is the fatherless crisis. Uh, Dr. Savage, Mm -hmm. we got so many, so many kids growing up without a father or a father figure in their life. And in my opinion, it's the number one social issue we have going on in our country. Mm-hmm. So you combine the, the father's been taken out of the home and our heavenly father's been taken out of our society. And that combination has crippled our country. And if we can get back to it and get the fathers in the home and our heavenly father back in our culture, uh, I think 90 percent of our problems would go away. Are you yourself a father? I have four children. Yes, I would say you're a father. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, either that or I'm a fraud, one or the other. But yeah, I got four kids. I got three boys and a girl. If we didn't get the girl on our fourth try, we'd have five by now. But we got her and she runs the show here. And and one wife with the four kids, not four. Yeah, you know, it's what, what, what. What's interesting is, I, listen, I, I'm a railroad mechanic. I've been doing that for 23 years. That's my main gig. And as a side hustle, I've always driven Uber. And one of the things when I tell people I have four kids, number one, they look at me like I got four heads. But then they always ask that question with the same mama, with yeah, the same right. woman. And it's like they're shocked by that. And it's like, boy, we have fallen pretty far here. You're a railroad engineer. You drive trains. No, no, I don't drive them. I fix them. I'm a mechanic, diesel engine mechanic. I work on the locomotives. Where? Uh, in New Jersey. Well, I'm a guy who loves boats with diesel engines, you know, Cummins diesels uh, inside yep. end, right? So what yeah, we used to have those, we used to have those as our head end power engines, the big Cummins motors. We don't use them anymore. We switched over to Caterpillar for the most part. Interesting. And uh, now we have dual modes. So we have both, uh, you know, like everybody else here, we have diesel and electric in the same uh, locomotive now. And they're not what they're cracked up to be, but that's a whole nother ball game. You, um, I, I'm going to talk about trains with you for a minute because you're going to talk about father, but I have to go back to my childhood. And some of my fondest childhood memories are going to Eastern Pennsylvania. I believe it was on the Lehigh Railroad. I don't know. I'm talking about late, early 50s. Usually with my mother and sister, because my father had to work seven days a week in the store. And the memories were getting on a train that was electric in Penn Station. And the minute it got over the river to Jersey, they switched to uh, coal-fired locomotives that would spew the worst pollution imaginable like out of an old western movie with gabby hayes and i would ask why is the train why does it stink you couldn't even go out outside it's in new york and not allowed to use uh coal-fired locomotives in those days would you believe it even then there was a dichotomy 
Yeah, and you know we still have the we still call it the fireman's seat inside the locomotive there, and it's uh, we that's still what we call it even even though that there's no fireman anymore that's shoveling coal in in there, but we still call it those old railroad terms still stick to today, and they did it now for us because you can't run diesel locomotives through the tunnel to go to New York. You have to switch to an electric uh, uh, train, so a lot of times everyone would have to transfer at Newark or now transfer at Secaucus and get on another train. So now the idea is you could stay on the same train. We get where we're going. We switch over to electric and now we shoot through the tunnel. So that was the whole idea of doing it. Amazing. Well, you know, trains, boys and trains were always interconnected when I was a little boy. I had a tra- had many train sets. I spent hours on the floor of our little apartment playing with train sets. Do boys play with trains anymore? You know, I tried to get my youngest son into it when he was like, they had the Thomas the train and all that. He never got it. I'm not a railroad buff by any means, uh, huh. the Dr. Savage. I just took it as a job. I was a regular auto mechanic in the Bronx huh. and I took the job, um, you know, many years ago here and it, it's worked out for me. It's provided a good income. It's provided good benefits uh, for my family. So it, it's not something That's that I, I, I sought to get into. It kind of found me a little bit. And uh, Do you, and work for, you work for um, basically a, a, um, a municipality. Well, yeah, I work for the third largest commuter rail system in the country. So, uh, right. So you're not an independent uh, engine. No, 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 no. I don't make my own trains and stuff. No, no, no. I No, I I ask because the boating world, the diesel mechanics make make a good living. And there aren't a lot of them and know what the hell they're doing, by the way. Yeah, it's something that came, you know, as a young kid, my father was a used car salesman in the Bronx. So growing up. I'd be over on Jerome Avenue watching, you know, a lot of the mechanics that they had in the shop. And I took an interest to it and learned a, a skill set at an early age of how to fix, uh, change brakes and how to uh, do oil. And just those two little skill sets really provided a, a good hustle for me as a young kid. And so I just, you know, gravitated towards mechanics and turned that into a living for myself. Well, I remember reading the other day, we both read about Jay Leno's face catching fire playing with a car. So I said to my son on the phone, or some, my wife, I think I said, my guess is I remember when our cars wouldn't start on a cold day in Queens, we'd spray ether into the carburetors and sometimes flame would shoot out of them. And I said, there's a good chance that Jay Leno used the ether. Well, it turned out not to be the case. It said they said he was working on a 1906 steam car that blew up or something like that i'm not too sure but i do know b- back in the day there are a lot of times in the winter time in the bronx you'd open the hood of the car wasn't that wasn't starting and there'd be like this little nest around the battery that the rats would build to try to keep warm in the winter time there so sometimes you'd have to clear up the little nest before you can get the car going but so they did use a- ether didn't they people spray ether <laughs> yes they used to do that for the carburetors yeah we used to rebuild those back in the day and they, they went out a long time ago when fuel injection came in but yeah they used to always spray them up Everyone would step on the gas pedal. No, you're flooding the engine. You know, you there's a do guy it. in the car who's turning it and you're spraying ether. You're right. And, yeah, and they yeah, shoot yeah. a flame out that could have burned your face if you weren't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, getting no, I love cars and I actually I love mechanical things. So I appreciate what you do for a living. And it does relate in a way to your topic of first class fatherhood, because a mechanic does things that a child can understand. He works on real things. Uh, it's true for other, let us say, professions that a father could work on where a child could be engaged. But you get a white collar father who's working in an office or working in his home office on paperwork. A kid can't relate to that. It's just a remote father sitting in a room on a computer. To him, it's not even a job. You, don't, you can't take a kid to work 
with that kind of job, right? So that has a lot to do with what you're talking about, I think. Yeah, there, there's definitely a disconnect with that. You don't really see it as as work, especially if they're on the phone or computer all day long. And even though they're working hard, it doesn't seem like it like you would if you have something tangible to work on, like a car, if you're a plumber, if you're a carpenter, uh, if you're doing those kind of if you're a construction guy, I mean, it looks more like, oh, yeah, look, he's working hard. So there's definitely something different to that. So your podcast is First Class Fatherhood, and you've, you've interviewed some really top people. How did they say yes to you? It's not easy to get people who are that prominent in the uh, entertainment world to agree to interviews. How'd you how'd you do that? Yeah, and I, I've been blessed too. like I, I've met many different uh, political dads. Even I've had Governor Ron DeSantis on the show, Senator Ted Cruz. So I've had a lot of different. But guys DeSantis all- doesn't give many interviews. That's what attra- interested me in working with you on today's podcast. You f- you for yours and Mike for mine. Because DeSantis doesn't give interviews, by and large. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to get, I see a lot of people ask me, how does this railroad guy, how are you landing all these interviews? I do yeah. all my own booking. I'm a one-man band over here. And and I, I'll i tell you how I respond to everybody, because it's just my truth, so you can take it or leave it. I tell everybody to read Mark 11:22, which says, whatsoever you ask for in prayer, believe you have received it, and it will be yours. Wow. So it's in the belief. It's in the belief of getting the guest. And if you could truly believe it, they'll be on the phone with you. That's faith, my friend. That's true faith. So we're talking about fatherhood, and you say the number one issue facing America is fatherlessness. We know from the wildings in the streets of New York, for example, these boys you could see grow up without fathers. There's no discipline in those homes. They rape, rob, push people in front of trains, do whatever the hell they want, break into stores. And now that the police, who were the father of society, have been destroyed and made to second guess their every good instinct. They're running wild in the streets and we know what has to be done. We need discipline in our society. And that brings us to a question I'd like to discuss, which is discipline, because you're asking me about being a father. The first thing I'm going to say is this. I'm a little skittish about answering questions and pretending I'm a great father, because you really have to ask children what they think of the man rather than the man himself to say he's a great father. I don't know if I'm a good father. I tried. I failed. I know that I can look back on things that I did that I didn't. I shouldn't have done. I look back at things I did that I'm happy with. But the children themselves have to be the ones to say, oh, he's full of crap. He was an awful father. He was not really there for me. He was remote. He was too strict. He was a disciplinarian. No, he never hit me, but he always wanted me to do more. And that made me feel that I don't know what they feel. Truthfully, I never asked them. Well, and, and don't get me wrong here either. I, I never claim to be a better father than anybody else. I'm also trying to be a better father today than I was yesterday. And what you're saying there is true. And I talked to UFC president Dana White, who came on the podcast here, and he said a lot of people always ask him about his legacy. And he said, you know, at the end of the day, when I'm laying there in that box and whoever shows up to my funeral shows up, the only legacy that's going to matter is what my kids get up there and say about me as a father. And wow. that's the only true legacy any of us really have. Yeah, how about saying it about a bunch of ashes in a jar? That, that You know, that's another element of the fatherhood crisis. The Taking the Ten Commandments out of the schools, to me, was the beginning of the end of family because there was no discipline. There was no respect for anything. So if you take out the Ten Commandments, the next thing to go is, what's the one in the commandments? Honor thy father and thy mother. I once spoke to a rabbi's wife about it because I had problems with one of my parents who was very disciplinarian 
and I had a lot of re resentment towards the discipline. Uh, I'm still a rebellious person at, at my age. But she said something interesting to me. She said, the Bible says, honor thy father and thy, thy mother. It doesn't mean worship thy father and thy mother. I said, what's the difference? She said, honor the fact that they gave you your life. Because she herself had trouble with her own mother. And she said she came to understand by reading these ancient teachings that it meant honor that they gave you your life. It doesn't mean worship them. And once people understand that, Alec, they can then accept what that biblical edict means, honor thy father and mother, not worship them. I think that's an important point. I think it's a very important point, and we've lost that in our society. So not only is it not honor thy mother and father, it's it, they don't honor or, or love any authority figure. And like you said, I, I've spoke to a lot of different police officers, uh, wardens at the prison, and a lot of the police officers that I've spoken with will say that the first uh, figure of authority these kids have come into contact with is a police officer. And mm. so they're the kind of the first authority they've ever seen because they don't have that. And it, and it rings true. I mean, it, it's not like something we're making up here. The majority of the kids that we're seeing, and it's not an excuse for the for the crime that's going on. It's not it's not saying, oh, they should be forgiven because this is what they're doing. But this is the case. The majority we are filling up the prison systems in this country with young men that come from fatherless households. It's the number one determining factor in how these kids are turning out. They don't have that father figure or that figure of authority at home. And they're getting with the local gangbanger because mom's working two jobs. She's never home. And they're ending up in prison. And, and it's that you could write the same script for all these kids that are ending up in a juvenile detention system. And then as adults as well. It's very interesting. In other words, we go back again. I mean, you're a religious guy by what you said right at the beginning of our conversation, which is if you believe, believe something, it's going to happen. And um, you talk about you take the father out of the uh, equation. And so the kid has no one, no one to answer to, basically. The mother's not even home. So who does he answer to? His peers on the streets, the other, the other boys running around without fathers who then basically try to prove to each other who's tougher by hurting more people or robbing more things. Uh, so once you take the ethics and morality out of our schools, Ten Commandments, well, you know, when I was a kid in, in the Bronx, speaking of which, PS42, we had the Ten Commandments on, a public, on the wall of a public school. I didn't find it offensive. I'm not Christian, but didn't bother me. I saw the Ten Commandments. I respected them. I was like, scared me. And you know what I said many years, Alec? Tell me what you think of this. A kid sits in a classroom. They're bored most of the time, especially if your mind's somewhere else. And your mind wanders around. What you see on the walls of that classroom kind of goes in your head. So you're reading, honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Uh, do not, you know, bear false witness. And it goes in your head. And even though you're not consciously thinking about it, it's going in. Now, look at what's on the walls of our school today. Take a look at what the brainwashing is with the LGBTQ CRT crap. I know you're going to bring that up because we know this is killing our kids, destroying what's left of their moral character or, or, or their character at all. Well, there, there's no doubt about it, Dr. Savage. And just like what you put into your body to get physical results, you go to the gym to lift weights or you eat certain foods to stay nutritious so your body is healthy, what you put into your mind is also going to produce an outcome in your mind. So you don't have to not only be aware of the thief on the street that's after your purse, but you got to be aware of the thief in your mind that's after your promise. Well, you're a good and teacher. So, Alec, well, you're a very strong teacher. You deserve a bigger audience. 
Well, I, I'm just going to say that, and we're seeing that happening. So, and then if you just having that in the school system and you don't have any reinforcement from parents at home to say, oh, no, no, wait a minute here. Uh, this isn't the way this is supposed to be. Here's how it is. So now, and even when you know, at the college level, you got kids that parents are afraid to send their kids to these colleges because they're coming back, hating America, judging everybody based on their race. And, and it's not what they, they planned on it, it, So, we, and then they're getting in, uh, up to debt that they're getting promises going to get paid off, which you is send the promises. beautiful young girl to college right away. The first day they turn into a, a whore, basically. Yeah, exactly. And then they want to make sure I see these girls raped, killed two in the morning. What was she doing? You know, I'm sorry to say it. She didn't deserve it. What was she doing out three in the morning coming up from a club in college? I went to sleep when I went to college. I went to sleep. I was exhausted from it, from studying all the time and working. Let let me tell you this, Dr. Savage. It it is a nightmare because, like I said, I hustle a lot of Uber. and I used to drive a regular taxi cab in the city switched over to Uber and Lyft years ago for a side hustle to support the family. And one of the things I noticed over and over again, because I only drive it Friday and Saturday night, late bar scene. Mm. And I get all these young college in particular, the young college girls that will just walk right into my car. They won't Mm. ask who I am, who I'm there to pick up or check my license plate. And I try to tell them, even though they're bonked out of their mind, I say, Mm. listen, if you don't ask who I am, or look at my license plate. You're going to get yourself killed out here. And they're doing it. And it's what. listen, I will say I'm grateful to see this generation not drink and drive and use the ride share stuff. But they have no common sense when it comes None. to two o'clock in the morning and they're inebriated getting into these cars. It's a dangerous situation. And they, in every use, college and they town assume USA. the world is a safe place and that nothing's going to hurt them. And if anyone tries to do anything to them, they'll blow a whistle and they'll be saved by the college girls. And they wind up in a ditch somewhere, laying in a ditch somewhere in, in, in Passaic, New Jersey, in a sewer. It's awful. And I look at this story that's in the papers now, these four kids who were killed. First, the newspaper, the liars said it was they all killed each other. Remember that story the other day? Three girls and a boy lived together in a house in Nebraska somewhere. Just the other day, they're still looking. First, they said they killed each other. It was a suicide pact, which made no sense to me. Now it turns out there was a person of interest seen with the two girls outside a club the night before some bearded guy. I have a beard. So, of course, they he, she took them. They took him home. Now put two and two together. And then he went wild. And the other couple was in the other bedroom and came in. The boy tried to stop him and he killed everybody. That's probably so. Oh, boy, what a world we live in, Alex. Well, well this, and, and this is obviously this relates right to the abortion issue here, because it's always about we they always harp on the fact that it's, um, uh, you know, it's it's the rape cases that everyone always brings up. They always say, oh, what about the rape? It's the, the lowest percentage of why the abortion they want to be able to. And you'll hear these women, especially on like the MSNBC and stuff like this, they'll say, oh, what about the parent that's got to send their kid to a, a conservative state and they're going to go to college and they won't have access to, to women's health care? <laughs> so basically saying that, what if my daughter wants to go and bang the whole football team and get pregnant? She can't just kill the kid. That's not fair. <laughs> and it's it's the personal responsibility that's being, you know, we want to remove that. We just seen in Montana, Dr. Savage, they had this on the bill, the stay alive bill. Should we give medical aid to a child that survives in abortion and they voted no i saw it what, I what's happened vo- what what has happened here it's they may as well open up the death camps now look i remember 30 years ago i was on the radio 25 years ago and we were getting cases of girls they go to a nightclub they're partying all of a sudden the baby slips out of them they take it and throw it into a dumpster in the back of the club that was the, i said what the hell we what? had one of those in jersey here but there's no once you lose the respect 
for human life. This is what you get. The next will be the euthanizing of the elderly because they're no longer attractive or they're sick or they're not productive. They'll start killing the old in this country. That's the next step. Well, and, and isn't it interesting, Dr. Savage, that whenever it does come up and they say, well, what about the woman that gets raped and she gets pregnant? They always talk about aborting the life that's innocent and not the guy that did the raping. They don't want to abort that guy. They don't want to they don't want to do that. They want to abort the only innocence in the entire situation. And so you have guys that are going in and out of prison for rape charges. The amount of people that are getting away, you know, the prison system is shot. These violent offenders are coming right back on the street into society. And then you got low-level offenders that are getting sentenced for for, for, for for hardly anything. None of it makes any sense. And you got violent, and you know it in New York, it's out of control. You got violent criminals, you're walking around, you have no idea who you're walking by when you're walking down the streets anymore. Alec, I'm looking in your background. Here, you're a guy who's a locomotive engineer, a, a diesel mechanic. You start a podcast, it must be doing well. Who designed your background? It's super professional. I do it. I do it. I'm actually in my bedroom closet right now, Dr. Savage. That's the <laughs> that's it. on the back of my wall. Yeah. You so have, that's the you have a better background than I do. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> uh, my team should watch this and I'm going to really lambast them. I'm going to be the bad father to the, my team because you have a better background than I do. Why don't I have a background that says the Michael Savage podcast with all of those great pictures behind me? Well, you see, I got the tie here. You probably can't see, but it's got it's a similar thing to the background. The tie has a lot of the guests that I've had on the show. Oh, my very similar God. To the background, you know? So Isn't I did a custom a... tie and I change it too. Like I'll have a tie that has all the NFL guys that I've interviewed if I'm doing, cause I've done the last four Super Bowls. So I'll How put the NFL. It... What do you take pictures and send them to a tie person? They put them on a tie. It's a, it, it's a $15 item. It's on... a, there's a website you could do it on. It comes out. So looks very I can make a tie of my top guests and, and you they can, can make send me what you want. I'll make the tie for you. It's a very that simple something? process. It That's ain't that funny. difficult. But, you know, it's because we have access to these phones now. You can do all If it wasn't now as much damage as the phones have done to our society. I know. Society, They're amazing. They're astounding. If we didn't have them, I would never have gotten in touch with any of these people. No, so I it gives that. everybody the opportunity. It levels no, the No, I don't knock everybody. social media either. You know, people say it's bullshit and the people are stupid. I said, bullshit. I said, I, I go on Twitter. And I, I screen through people. Some of them are super smart and they send me things that I would never get anywhere else. I can screen out the trolls and the morons. But, you know, we were talking about uh, some political issues and people sent me stuff that you have to ask who they are. Some of them must be deep state CIA on our side of the political world because they send me things that you can't get unless you're in those deep state places. So I think that social media can be great. Um. We're talking about first class fatherhood with Alec Lace. How do you how does your podcast support itself? I'm just curious. Is it ad based or is it by subscription? Yeah, well, right now I have uh, uh, my pillow is one of the sponsors that I have. So if you use the promo code fatherhood, you save up to 66 percent off. So I've had Mike Lindell on the show here hooked up with him. I did that. Uh, I just had a book come out with Harper Collins. Uh, based on the podcast. So that's been really the biggest thing to help support the show here. So it was called First Class Fatherhood, Advice and Wisdom from High Profile Dads, basically a breakdown of a lot of the advice and wisdom given out on the show Interesting. here. And I just signed a deal to move the show over uh, to the Family Made Media Network, which is owned by Olympic gold medalist Sean Johnson and her husband, Andrew East. So just moved it over to that network there. So just starting, uh, I'm, I'm four years into this. Uh, it's a lot of skill sets to learn. How, how many years? Band, How many years? Four years now. Oh, you're going far with yours. 
So I, I, it's still, uh, and I'm still learning the game here. So a lot of the stuff is, is, is still uh, a figuring out process for me, but I'm having a lot of fun. I'm getting a lot of great response from hundreds, thousands of dads all over the country uh, that are interested in the topics that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. So it's been very rewarding that way too. And my kids think I'm a superstar. So it's working out pretty good. No, good for you. You deserve it. You're doing a good job. So you're really asking me about fatherhood and I'm trying to avoid the topic by talking about everything but me and fatherhood, because I say I'm a little embarrassed with my children not sitting here saying with their faces, you know, on the side, like a Trump face, something like that. If I say something I don't agree with, but I'm thinking back. I'm not a natural father. I'm a very uh, self-directed person who thinks largely about himself, always drove myself very, very hard. And I remember when we had our first child, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to be a father. I didn't know what to do. There's no book, Alec. There's no book that comes along with the birth. Here's son. Here's the book. So I didn't know what to do. So I remember asking my uncle. He, would, he didn't have children himself. It was very interesting. He was the one uncle, Nate, who was childless, incidentally, rest his soul. And he said something interesting to me. I had a little baby in my arms. And he said to me, Michael, all you have to do is love them. The rest will fall in place. Well, you know what? It worked. A child knows whether you want them and whether you love them. In my opinion, they say, like, what's the most important thing? You could get all the rules in the world, do everything right. It all turns out wrong. Or you get some fathers who are screw ups and they do everything wrong. And the kid turns out great because in their hearts, they knew that man loved them. The, 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 you know, I see shows the, the daughter goes to a prison. And her father's in jail for some horrible crime, and she loves her father. I say, what the hell did I do wrong? She's crying over her dad who's a murderer in jail. I love my dad. She must have known he loved her. There are murderers who love their children, right or wrong. Yeah, of course there is. There's enemies, uh, you know, of this country that, that that are that are horrible enemies, but they have love for their kids. They have love for their family. I mean, that, that's something that's uh, uh, we're all capable of love. We're all capable of hate, just as human beings. Mm. And we're all capable of love and lo- lo- love and hate. Uh, so as I'm saying, you ask me, what's the way to raise children? The only rule that I know of is that the other thing is this I'm coming again from my own experience. If you're asking about my fatherhood thing, as I was very reluctant to talk about this topic, this is very personal. I remember um, my son, God bless him. is a great person. So is my daughter. My son is super successful. Uh, very strong-willed, like me, like two, two bucks, always banging our heads when he was getting older. So I remember when he was in high school, we had to move to New- from California, uprooted him, moved him to New York, and he had to go to high school there. And he went through a phase. He didn't do a lot of bad things, but I'd wake up in the morning and that Mustang that I had had been driven the night before and the clutch was slipping. And he'd been racing on Sunrise Highway. I didn't know what I was sleeping to get up the next day to go to work. And he and I would clash. He was a teenager for Christ's sakes. So I spoke to a coach one day at this high school he went to. He was an African-American man who had his son exactly the same age. And I would sit in the stands with him on this cold autumn day. I remember it to this day. He and I would sit and talk. I'd say, his name was Archie. Let's say, I say, Archie, I don't know what the hell to do. We were clashing all the time. She said to me, Michael, listen to me. He said, here's, here's what you got to remember. He said, they're younger than us and they're tougher than us. And if you keep fighting with them, you're going to have a heart attack. 
He said, all you can do is tell him the right way, be there for him and wait on the side of the road if he falls off. You can't do anything more than that. You can't hold their hands. You can't hobble their feet. They got to live their own life. And if they make a mistake, just be there to catch them. What do you think about that advice? Uh, I think it's great advice. And my, my oldest is 16 and he's just uh, a few months away from getting his license. We're going through a lot of these things we've never gone through before. But I, I know just from my own personal journey, I'm a recovering alcoholic, recovering addict. Uh, and, and I know that my failures in life mm. have helped develop me into the person that I am. And without them, I wouldn't be where I am right now. So mm. I know that they're just as important as the successes are, the failures are too. But as a parent, very difficult to watch and stand on the sidelines right. when you know your kid is failing, when you know they're in danger, but you have to trust and have faith in the process that, hey, this is going to develop them into the person that they are supposed to become. So it, it is difficult as a father to watch that and have the discipline and the patience to go through it. And, I, and I'm learning that as I go along this journey myself. Well, it's interesting Then there's the issue of discipline. I never hit my children. I made up my mind. First of all, I didn't come from a hitting father. I came from a very strong old world, Eastern European, Russian, Ukrainian type immigrant who was extremely severe with me and raised me to be in his mind tough. He was afraid I was too weak. That's all he was worried about because he knew the world ate the weak. He knew that. And he used to say, don't be anyone's fool. That's all he kept saying. Don't be I can remember the words that said, don't be anyone's fool. Don't let them make you into a fool, blah, blah, blah. So all I heard, it was like, drove me crazy. Like, I didn't even think about those things because I had a lot of friends. I was a funny guy and I used my humor as a method of being with people without getting into trouble. I was the guy who told the jokes. I was like the shortstop on the ball team. And the guys liked me. It's as simple as that. I wasn't as the biggest guy. I'm not a big guy, but no one picked on me because I had a way of dealing with it with my own way, which was. I would say humor. Let's put it that way. He didn't understand that. To him, it was grim. Like if I, <laughs> if I had to go to work with him on those cold days over the Williamsburg Bridge to his store on the Lower East Side, which then was a slum, a garbage can, his little store in the cold, I would turn the radio on in his DeSoto. I told this story recently. Turn the radio on going over the bridge. I hated being in that car on a Saturday. I wanted to play with my friends. No, you're going to work. I said, I don't want to go to work. You're going to work. You'll wind up a bum. Otherwise, I go to work. I sit in that car. He wouldn't put the radio on. He turned the radio off. I said, he says, no music. You're going to work now. It's not an, you're not going to entertain entertainment. Great. <laughs> you get, you're laughing, right? It's funny listening to a story like that. But it was true. Grim, like a black and white movie, Alec. Alec, it was like a black and white movie. There was no color in that movie. No, no, it was no color. It was black and white on a little screen. That's all. It's funny. I laugh too. I think back. My, my father was uh, the other way, where he would say, "Never give a sucker an even break." You know, there's a sucker born every minute, two to take him. He was a street hustler guy, a used car salesman guy, and I became fascinated with that as a young guy, and it, it led me in the wrong path for a long time. And I wow. thought the only way to really uh, get ahead in life was to get over on people, and I learned a lot of hard lessons in life going that direction for sure. Wow. So you must have met people who who let you think you were conning them, and then they conned you. Right. right. Joke the was big, on me. Yep. The bigger con man. Yep. They, what yeah, was that statement that the easiest person to con is a con man? Have you, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not never sure heard that, that one. one. No. I think I just made it up. <laughs> That's quite possible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But 
you know, the whole thing about the con and children, that comes down to the fundamentals of raising a child. You can't con children. They'll look right through you, right? Yeah, I, I agree with that. So what is it? You bear all your flaws? No. I wouldn't advise anyone listening to this show. It doesn't mean that you, you, you pour your heart out to your children every day or you tell them that you did something you're not proud of. That's your business. Everyone's going to fall through their life and do things even when they're, they've gone from bad and now they're in a good state and now they're straight. There's still parts of them that are a little warped. And it's not something you have to share with your children. They don't need to hear it. What do you think of that? Well, I will say this, Dr. Savage. I mean, I, I definitely communicate with my kids in a much different way than my my parents. And again, my father was 50 years old when he had me, you know, so they, they came from a much different. My father was born in 1930, came from a much different generation than all the other kids that I was growing up with and their parents. But uh, my parents weren't ones to ever tell me that they loved me. I, I, I don't know if I ever heard it really from right. my father, but yet I never doubted that he did. I tell my kids. I love them probably like five, 10 times a day. Is that good or bad? I don't know, but it do feels they, right to me. Do so they the believe it or do they think they think it's just words? I don't know either. I, I, I think they believe it because of the actions that they see, which the I actions. think is so much more important than uh, what I say. I think they see it and they feel it. And I think that's more important. So do I. I mean, what does the word I love you mean anymore today? People, everyone says it now. On, you hear it all the time. I love you. I, I mean, you don't know what it means anymore. But as I once said on a radio show, we're limited by our language because in the English language, we have only one word for love. I love you. Oh, I love you. I love my mother. Oh, man, I love this car. Oh, I love this pizza. Man, I love that sunrise. One word, one verb. The, the Latin has 16 verbs for love. Each love is a different verb. So in other words, I love my pizza is different than I love my wife. And I love my wife is different than I love my carburetor. I mean, so you use a different verb. We have one verb, so it can get confusing when yes. you say I love you to a kid. I love you. Like you love that pizza, huh? You know, that, so, that's why that's why I love using like a, a concordance for the Bible, because it gives you so many breakdowns of different words, like one word that they chose to use in a certain uh, uh, verse. You can break that word down and it's got a paragraph worth of meanings to it. So you now you start to get an idea of how many different variations of this word exist. So I got to, I think you sent these questions. Like what advice do you have for new assumed to be dads? Was that a question to me? Yeah, this was, this was how I was going to run, uh, you know, on my end and bring you on the show. No, I, I like, I like that question. I actually answered it, which is I asked my uncle when I didn't know what to do. I had no guidebook. There was no guide. And he said, just love your child and the rest will follow. I think that's a hundred percent true. Now, I mean, I could give a thousand other pieces of advice, but they're worthless to the average listener because a lot of I've got young fathers on social media. Michael, please tell me what to do. I have a child. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to raise them. Right. So I would say, just remember this. The, did you want that child? Do you want that child? Let the child know it. Know what regular, not every second, but let him know or let her know you really cherish her life or his life and, and let him know that without overdoing it. And the rest, I think anyone could get from anywhere. They know right from wrong. Alec, we all know right from wrong. Uh, it, well, it, it, I was going to say also, too, so many of the dads that I've interviewed, they come at it from a different direction. So some dads, it, being a dad doesn't really even hit them until like three, four months down the line. And they expect they hit this buildup that, 
once the child's born, they're going to have this great epiphany and all of a sudden their whole world's going to change. And then the child's born, they don't have it. And they're like, well, what, what is there something wrong with me? It's almost like some of the NFL guys that I've interviewed, they've compared it to when they won the Super Bowl and then they stick the trophy in their hands and the reporters like, Hey, you're a Super Bowl champion. How does it feel? And they're like, Nothing. I don't know. It hasn't hit me Nothing. yet. And they compare Nothing. that to that same experience. So exactly. for some dads, they get that connection. And for some dads, it takes a time. It takes time. Very good point, Alec. Um, I believe that having a child changes a man for the good and for better forever. You take a bad guy out there. He has a child. Usually, unless he's a psychopath or a sociopath, he usually becomes a better person. Once he realizes that this child's going to be affected by what he's doing in the streets, he starts to think, Christ, I'm doing this crap to some other, uh, someone else's kid. You know, So they start to change their ways when they realize what they're doing through the eyes of the child. And I've said this before, Alec, if you're at the birth of your child in the delivery room and you see those eyes come out of your wife's body and look at you, it's going to alter you forever. If you're part of that birth process and you say, Oh, look at this. There's a person. It's a person. It's not a thing, right? Not a thing. So again, it comes back to the connectivity, the connection and the love for the, for the child. There's no, you know, guidebook for space, spaceship Earth with regard to raising a child. You look at this crypto thief who just came up, this whatever, Zygmunt Freed, I don't know his name. Here's a kid, a, ma a math genius. Parents are two Stanford law professors. To give you some idea of what I think of Stanford and law professors. Brilliant law professors. They produce this monster who is a math prodigy, goes to MIT comes out and winds up this crook because he was raised with something missing. And what was that something? Some kind of ethos or ethos or understanding of other human beings. It was all about them and him, all about you're good. You're, the typical liberal viewpoint, you're good, you're good, you're good, they're bad, do whatever you want to them. They're no good. This is what happens. This is why a society in, in many ways is fractured. You've got the fundamentalist Christians raising their children in the Old Testament manner with the Ten Commandments and trying to do good for them. And the kids usually understand the parents mean well for them, even if they don't all work out that way. Then you have this other group who raises their children with absolutely no sense of um, responsibility to society other than these ethereal things like global warming, uh, LGBTQ, these nefarious do-good things. And so this crooked bum, this crypto guy, he would preach to everybody about all of these goodness things while ripping off society, this crypto crook. Typical liberalism. I, I don't want to work too much in here because I know your audience probably goes well beyond a political orientation. Uh, are there any other questions that I could possibly uh, come at? Uh, discipline, never hit my children. Uh, I'll tell a story that is a famous story, if I may that my son himself told at my birthday party a number of years ago. He's now in college at San Diego State, which is a, San Diego State, which is a party school. He was not really ever a studier. Smart kid, but he was not a studier. Like me, I was not a studier, really. I liked learning, but I didn't like studying. I didn't like reading, taking tests. I didn't like any of that. So he, he goes to San Diego State, and he's hanging around his fraternity brothers, and they're partying, and... Uh, one day I came into the fraternity house. I flew down from San Francisco. I come in. 
the fraternity house smelled of beer. People were sleeping like in couches on the floor. I got so I got so upset. I'm looking for my son, and he comes out. And I said to him, you look like you're living in a Haitian third world outhouse. What are you doing? <laughs> I said it in front of the few kids who were awake. So he smiled. He laughed. He told that story years ago. He said it snapped him awake. I said, I'm an immigrant son, and this is what you're doing with your inheritance, basically. <laughs> you're living like a bum in a Haitian outhouse. What, what are you doing here? Stuff like that. He remembers stories like that. But later on, he became a very successful businessman. So he tells the story when he was 14. It was almost a repeat history, but I didn't do it with, with rancor or hatred. I said, look, 15, you're in high school or whatever now back in here in California. you got to take a job because I had to work for my father on the weekends. And he did it because I would that way I'd be, get disciplined and learn the value of a dollar. It's all true. I said, son, you have to take a job. He didn't argue with me. I didn't scream, bum, take a job. I didn't say there's anything wrong with you. Take a job. I said, you got to get a job. Takes a job at Burger King, which is like a bus ride away here in where I live north of San Francisco. He has to take a bus 30 minutes and work at a rotten Burger King. He never complained one day about it. Not one day. He learned to do that stuff. Or when we had a little house, I would pay him to take a leaf blower to the driveway. And I had a friend, a liberal friend that I'm not friendly with for the last 30 years. Not because of politics. He's just an asshole. But he was a good friend of mine, by the way. We loved each other as friends. I pay my son. I said, I'll give you $2 if you'll take a leaf blower and blow the driveway. Fine. So he made $2. My friend would say, how dare you teach your son something about money, how evil you're teaching him. You're giving him money to clean the driveway. In other words, he, this guy turned to be a very far leftist guy, by the way. Money was evil to him. Okay, that's all he wanted anyway. But I'll give you an example. I paid him to clean the driveway. To me, it was like Tom Sawyer getting money to paint the fence, right? Well, I'll tell you, that, that, that's definitely something that's different right now because I, I just know from being a kid, when there was ever snow over here, the kids would be like little marching ants all throughout the neighborhood trying to hustle to shovels driveways. And today you don't see any of that going on anymore. Yes. So it's almost as if you don't have that kind of entrepreneurial spirit. That where we all are just, they? Where they all have money? Where did they go? I don't know. And even even so, in the same breath, when we were kids, we, we played street ball. We played football on the grass. We made the teams. We, we made the rules. We settled all our fights. There was no coaches, no parents, no referees watching us uh, taking 10 second TikTok videos of us scoring a touchdown. Like we did. <laughs> all these things together and we develop these kind of skill sets that we're robbing this generation from because i feel like we don't see them in the parks we don't see them playing ball by themselves we don't see them scouring the neighborhood to either shovel driveways or, or, or deliver papers and, and hustle. Or wash a car that we went right. around i went around with a shovel in queens or, or whatever the kids did all sorts of stuff like that uh, i see occasionally a, a note we'll walk dogs or something i think kids are afraid also to go around door to door today too for fear that the shovel will be robbed from them and, and they'll be stripped naked and thrown on the third rail by the boys <laughs> who are being raised without fun. We laugh, but it's true. And unfortunately, that is the case. I mean, they may end up in a suitcase somewhere, but it, it, <laughs> terrible. And it's definitely changed the way parents go about parenting because it didn't seem like my parents were too concerned about us running through the neighborhood all day. Like and today, I'm like, where I want to know where they are at all times. So there's definitely a shift that's happened in our culture and not for the better here. And I want to ask you this. I mean, 
how what is the hope here? Because I focus on this, how our, our nuclear families have been destroyed. Nobody values family anymore. Our, our fathers have been removed from the home. God removed from the society. What is the hope here, Dr. Savage? Well, how do we get this thing back? on? I know you talk about borders, language and culture. I focus on the culture part of the family unit. What is the hope? How do we get our family units back together in this country again? Well, you won't like this answer. Poverty is a great teacher. We have too much excess in this country. Everything's for free. It's not just welfare. Basically, kids are growing up on welfare. They're like welfare recipients from the household. Everything's too much food, so they now can reject food as all poisonous unless they eat some vegan diet grown in a test tube somewhere in Sweden by Greta Thunberg or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So they have too much. If you have a little less, you learn what the value of things are. And then you get drawn back together with the family unit. The family unit isn't that necessary anymore. They have everything they want out there in the streets or on social media. So what's the value of family right now? It's not as valuable as it once was. We were a close-knit family in Queens. We had one car. My father was the sole breadwinner. I'm thinking back. He had his little store. He went to seven days a week. My mother stayed home and took care of the children and the house. It was called a homemaker, by the way. They called it a housewife then, and then that was a demeaning phrase, so it became a homemaker, which was true. She made the home. But I remember once asking a rabbi years later about being a husband, and he said to me something funny. He was old school, old world, hardly spoke English, and he said, he said to me, the word husband means house band. And he went like he was a big guy, one of those old world big bear of a guy. He says, house band, husband, house band. I'll never forget that he's supposed to keep it all together. House bands, a good one. Isn't it a good phrase? Wow. Yeah, I, I've never heard that one. I, I love it. And you know what? It's it's something that's so true. And I think stay, we call it stay at home moms now, too, because my, my wife stayed home for the first 13 years of, of our kids' lives while I was working and hustling. And it, we, we, but we agreed on that ahead of time. And I think we looked down on and I would get it and she would get it on her end. Like her friends would be like, oh, 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 you stay home with the kids. That's all you do. Like it's like, right. that's all you do. And I would get it from guys on the railroad. Like, what's your wife doing home all day? Like, you know, as if like, she's not doing anything and so we have this negative persona of this stay-at-home mom and i think it's the wrong one and i and i know and i would be one of the guys like if i was offered the, the double shift to do a second shift at the job i would call my wife and say hey are you up for doing a double today are you up for another shift because i know if i take this gig we need the money but I also know it means you're going to do dinner by yourself. You're going to do bath time by yourself. You're going to do bedtime by yourself. Oh, and hard. I can hear the kids crying and screaming in the background. And I'm like, it's a double for her, just like it is for me. If you have that mutual respect for what each other is doing, the, the, the blend is going to work that much better. You're a good father. And you must learn the hard way to become this good father. Right. Were, were, you, in, were you a naturally good father? I'm curious. I, I, I don't I, I don't believe so. I think I'm still a work in progress on, on the journey here to be a great father. I mean, I, I, I love being a dad. It's definitely changed my life. It's changed my perspective on the world. And, and there's nothing I love more. So I, I'm working at the craft of being a dad. So I, it's something that I would do every day. And, I, and like I said, I try to be better tomorrow than I was today. That's all I can do and hope for. Hmm. So I'm thinking back about, let's say there's some young guys listening to the show or young women, mainly guys want to ask me, how do you raise a child? What should I do? I don't know what to do. I'm scared. So I, I said a few things. One is remember to let them know that you love them without overdoing it. You don't have to every day gush over them, but let them know you really love them. Uh, that's number one. I think you need to teach them to work. 
for sure. Let them do chores around the house and pay, pay them for it when they're older. Teach them the value of work equals income. It doesn't come down out of a tree. And as our economy is retracting, I think people are going to learn more and more uh, what the value of a dollar actually is. Uh, there are other things you can do. I mean, hard work never hurt anybody, I think. That's the truth of the matter. I'm, a, I'm at my age. I don't have to work. But I wouldn't know how to live without working, which is uh, what I'm doing now. But children, the little children, pity the little children. The world they are growing up in is so mentally polluted right now. The schools scare the hell out of me with all of the perverts teaching this crap. And the hatred for the father, the hatred for the family, the hatred for God, the hatred for police, the hatred for America. Then they had, they're a white kid. They're taught to hate themselves for being white. Can you imagine teaching that in a school? So-called critical race theory, how this would be permitted? The levels of perversion in schools today never, ever imagined that this would be going on. So it's more difficult today than it ever was to raise a child in our country, which has gotten so sick, it's hard to imagine it could ever be healed. What is the hope for the future? I almost said poverty is the hope for the future, but I didn't mean it that way. I said poverty tends to teach people some hard lessons and bring them together as a family. I don't know what the answer is other than electing conservative uh, people into Congress or into the Senate. God forbid we couldn't win that one. And, and just standing up to it, just say no. Remember Nancy Reagan's thing on drugs? Just say no. The school board meetings, they were just saying no. They were just saying no to the, to the deviants and the pervs out there. Uh, are there any other questions I might be able to answer that would be of any value to you, Alec, today for today's well, show? Well, maybe one more thing, just because you touched on the school system. We've seen this with, with parents that are showing up at the school board that are sick and tired of having CRT crammed down their kids. So I, I live here in Jersey, in a communist state of Jersey, where they, <laughs> they, they changed the curriculum uh, two years ago so that eighth graders learn about anal sex now as part oh, of the curriculum. On. I'm telling you the truth. And now they're pushing here kindergarten, first and second grade to learn about sexual orientation and gender identity. Sorry. And so parents have had enough of this. That's but child if you abuse. Show, if you, I agree. And if you show up at the school board, you're shot down. Your voice isn't being heard. So what what hope what what do the parents do? How can they get around this? And, and it seems almost as if like there's a dead end because the, the school is deciding and they're saying you, the parents have should have nothing to do. With the school curriculum, well, it that's should be right the out teacher, of com that's communism, communism 101, where the parents are no longer in charge of their own children, but the state is in charge of their children. But instead of the state teaching pride in the state, pride in the nation, pride in the police, pride in the military, they're teaching pride in degeneracy and perversion. That's their that's their object here. Pride in, in what? I, I want to stop here because I'll get vulgar and I don't mean to, even though there's enough vulgarity in me to uh, make a locker room happy. But again, I'd like to kind of conclude on a more positive note than the negative. You're asking questions for which I have no answer. The politicians are controlling it and they're being driven by the perverted 001% of the far left. And um, we've gone from grade school to college. My tips are very clear. Love your child, teach them the value of a dollar, make sure they take a job and work at something as they're growing up and pay close attention to what they're uh, consuming on the internet. We all know that's the, that's the landmine, right? 
Yeah, and, and I, I think, too, Dr. Savage, the sad thing is that youth suicide has gone up every year consistently since 2007. I just had this year one of the kids in my, in my son's grade uh, killed themselves last year. My other son, kid in his grade, killed himself. And it's something that I never heard of growing no. up. I mean, we heard of maybe a very rare case that's somewhere in a distant land, never close I, to home and happening so much. And never it's heard interesting. Of it. In 2007 is the first year we ever got a smartphone. And that's when smartphones came out. And every year wow. since 2007, youth suicide has increased. I'm not saying it's a co- correlation, but it's a coincidence. It's, and, well, and I think it's, uh, the, I, it's the drugs. I think it's the drugs have everything to do with youth suicide. Most of the children are growing up drugged, whether it's Adderall or it was Ritalin or it was a Prozac-like compound. Their brains are not their brains. And they, um, if you take a serotonin reuptake inhibitor like a... Um, um, it's an SRI, which is an antidepressant. You know, you can only play with your chemistry f- for so long until your chemistry plays with you. I-, I just created that for you. It's a good phrase. So you're playing with the SRIs. You're constantly faking your body into thinking that you're feeling good with the serotonin until eventually you run out of the serotonin and then you crash. And that leads to violence and that leads to suicide. Now throw another element into it, which, which is the marijuana. I did a whole podcast on it two weeks ago about a woman who had a straight A student. Then he started dab- dab- dabbing and he became withdrawn, isolated because I asked her what happened to him. She said he locked his door, wouldn't talk to us. Then he would get angry at us. He was smoking more and more dope, dabbing more and more high powered pot. And eventually this poor kid went from a straight A student to this guy and he threw himself out of a window and he, she wrote this book on the dangers of, of marijuana. And so drugs, 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 legal and illegal, not just illegal drugs. We all know about the dangers of fentanyl that we know about, but the dangers of pharmaceutical drugs being prescribed by quote pediatricians is the real hidden epidemic behind the suicide in my estimation. And again, if there's no value for life, if you can, party and drop a baby uh, while dancing and then throw it in a dumpster. Well, you could throw yourself off a floor, off a building too. Says your life has no meaning either. You're worthless. You're just a pile of flesh. You have to restore through religion, only through the religions. Nothing else will work. Old world religions, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, none of them, none of them, by the way, permit suicide. People don't know this. Buddhism, none of them. I looked into this for years. There is not a religion on earth that accepts suicide as a viable alternative to to life. None. Why? Because they have a very simple idea, which is you don't belong to you. You belong to God. So now we live in me, 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 me. I belong only to me. I think only about me. Whatever feels good, I do. So if this feels bad, I'll kill me. Right? Well, it's not yours to throw away. Suffer, my little children, because that's what life is. You want to know the real nitty gritty about life? Is that it's not a picnic. It's hard. It's difficult. And most of us don't know this when we're kids. The parents protect us and give us a beautiful life, a rose-colored life. And then slowly we will get into, you know, places where people pick on us, ridicule us. And if you can't take that ridicule, which you have to learn to take, you're not going to make it. I was bullied my whole life, picked on. I mean, Bronx was a shitty place. Nobody was shooting you, but 
pushing, yelling, shoving, cursing, putting you down. I was raised to understand that that's part of life. You have to learn to push back, right? If you're raised to think that that's not right, fine, it isn't right, but it goes on. And you have to teach your child to stand up for themselves. Teach them a martial art. Take them to school to learn how to defend themselves, both physically and mentally. Yeah, very, very well said, Dr. Savage. And I will say when you say about the me, me, me generation that we do see having going on here, it's all about you. I think the thing that changes that is when you do become a father. And I know I've interviewed, like I said, a lot of different military guys, SEALs and special ops guys, and they all have that service before self mentality, which Mm. me being a civilian never really understood Mm. until I became a father. That was the first time I actually got loving something ahead of myself. And I think Mm. if you embrace that and lean into it, it does help you develop. It helps you change. It helps you become a better person, not just to yourself and your kid, but to the community, to the society, and eventually to our country at large. So I just wish that the young people in this country would embrace the idea of having a child, starting a family. And I think we could be on the path to recovery here. God, family, country. Remove God, the family falls apart and the country falls apart. The answer, my friend, is written in the wind. The answer is more God. More God, more prayer, more faith, more belief. That's the cure. That's the cure for it all, Alec. I thank you for drawing this out of me. I was sitting here toward the end of this thinking, God, I hope my children don't hear this podcast. (laughs) Well, listen, I got to say, you're a first-class father all the way. Michael Savage, thank you for giving me a few minutes of your time here today with First Class Fatherhood. How do we get to your podcast? It's just called First Class Fatherhood? Yep, you'll find it everywhere. It's on all the podcast channels. I got firstclassfatherhood.com. You can grab the book on Amazon. Just Google First Class Fatherhood. It'll come up somewhere. I wish you the best of success in your endeavors because you know what you're doing and you're a hardworking man, and God bless you and your children. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Savage. It's been an honor for me. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. First Class Fatherhood is a family-made media podcast. Please visit www.firstclassfatherhood.com or www.familymade.com to find out more details. You can order First Class Fatherhood advice and wisdom from high-profile dads on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will never depart from it. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.